a few years ago, there was a study of corporate managers. And they were asked if they were willing to express opinions that focused on the good of the company rather than personal benefit. And to do that, even if it jeopardised their own careers. Were they willing to stand up and speak up when it, was, when it was beneficial to the company, even if they suffered for it? From their survey, the authors concluded that there were four different types of leaders in any organisation. Some confronted the issues, but only because of a personal vendetta against the company. Others didn't know or care whether they could do anything for the company. They felt helpless and hopeless, and so they kept quiet. The third group also remained quiet, but only because they hated any kind of confrontation. They just wanted everybody to like them, and they just loved approval, and so they just kept their head down. But the the fourth group, They courageously expressed their ideas to help the company improve in spite of personal risk or opposition. Now, I don't think any of us would be surprised to hear that the researchers discovered that the last group, the courageous managers, they accomplished the most. They reported the highest job satisfaction. And eventually, they were commended by their superiors. But I wonder, which one are we most like in our lives? When problems or issues arise in our lives, as they often do, whether it's in business or society or in our marriages or our families, friendships or even in church, Do we have a tendency to rush in and speak up just to look after our own issues and to express our own hearts? Or do we remain silent because we feel hopeless and helpless to make any difference in this situation? Or do we keep quiet because we're terrified of confrontation and just don't want to rock the boat no matter what it takes? Or are we courageous enough to speak up for what is right in spite of personal risk or opposition? In this next section of 2 Corinthians, we're going to see that Paul was in that latter category. Despite the pressure on him and the emotional toll that it took on him, Paul was willing to confront the issues in this church community. I'm going to see that from 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to read from verse 2 down to the end of the chapter. It's a bit of a longer reading than usual, so just please bear with me and listen along in your your Bibles or just listen as I read it to you. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, chapter 7, sorry, and verse 2. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you would have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have great confidence in you. 
I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort that you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. In every point you proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did the wrong or of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was, because his spirit had been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you, and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I'm glad I can have complete confidence in you. As we've seen throughout this letter, the the church in Corinth had been going through a difficult time. And that had created a tension between Paul and this church. One of the issues was the false teachers that were trying to draw this church away from Paul's ministry and that new covenant message that he preached. That message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the issue, this, that issue was increasing and Paul will address that later on in this letter. But there was another issue about an individual that had seemingly opposed Paul and challenged in authority during what Paul called in chapter 2 his painful visit to this church. Because instead of standing with Paul at that time, this church had either sided with this man or at the very least refused to discipline him and refused to stop him in his assault on Paul. 
And the situation got so bad that Paul felt that the wisest thing to do was to leave. And he went back to Ephesus. Now this was a major issue for this church. Not just because they were mistreating someone who had sacrificed so much for their benefit. But much more importantly, this issue threatened to isolate them from Paul. Remove them from his ministry. And so would leave them more susceptible to the influence of those false apostles who were trying to lead them astray, lead them away from trusting in Jesus. So what was Paul going to do in this situation? Well, he could have angrily just washed his hands of them. Left them to suffer the consequences of their own stupid decisions. Or he could have given in to despair. Concluded the situation was hopeless and there was nothing more he could do about it. Or he could have given in to fear. And kept quiet. Hoping that it would just all kind of blow over and sort itself out eventually. But Paul didn't do any of those things. Instead he wrote a letter. Wrote a letter to confront this issue and he gave it to his friend Titus who travelled and took it to Corinth. Now this letter hasn't been preserved in our Bibles. It was written in between, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians. It's that in between letter. But we know that it was a deeply distressful letter for the Corinthians to read. We read in verse 8, I caused you sorrow by my letter. It was not a nice letter to, to, to read for the Corinthians. So why did Paul write this distressing and distressful letter? Well, it's clear that it wasn't because he enjoyed writing it. This was a difficult letter for him to write. It caused them a great deal of pain and heartache. Again, back in chapter 2, we read, I wrote to you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears. It was a really difficult letter for Paul to write. And then it also caused him a great deal of distress to wait for their answer to be delivered back by Titus. Maybe you remember that Paul from Ephesus went to Troas and was ministering and serving God there. But Paul said in verse 13 of chapter 2, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus. He was desperate to know how things were going on in in Corinth and so he just couldn't settle in Troas. And so he travelled on to Macedonia to see if he could find Titus there. But when he didn't find Titus there, he was left in an even worse situation. We read verse 5 of chapter 7. When we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest. We were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside. Fears within. Couldn't rest. Couldn't sleep. Not just because of the persecution that he was experiencing there, but, but because of the worry that he had. Over Titus and the Corinthians. Writing this letter, confronting this issue, caused Paul a great deal of emotional pain. 
So Paul didn't write it because he enjoyed writing it. Neither did Paul write it because he wanted to hurt them, as they had hurt him. This wasn't a revenge letter. This wasn't retaliation. He says in verse 8 that even although, on the one hand, he didn't regret writing it because it was the right thing to do, yet he says, I did regret it. Because I see my letter hurt you. He's kind of pulled in those both directions, not wanting to hurt them, but recognising that this was the, the necessary thing to do. Causing pain and sorrow to his brothers and sisters in Christ brought Paul no pleasure at all. So this wasn't something that Paul enjoyed doing. This wasn't something that Paul did to get his own back. And neither was Paul trying to manipulate them for his own benefit. He again declared the purity of his motives with them in this passage. Verse 2, we have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. In fact, one of the issues this church had, as we'll see later on in this letter, was that Paul would not take money from them for his own personal needs. And they were offended by that. Nor was Paul wanting to condemn these Christians and just leave them in the depths of despair and guilt. He says in verse 3, I do not say this to condemn you. He didn't just want them to feel really, really bad and just condemned and just leave them in that place. That wasn't his purpose either. Nor was Paul doing this to push them out of his life. Again in this section, Paul declared his absolute commitment to these believers. Verse 3, I've said before that you have, had su- you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. That's commitment, isn't it? I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. So whatever it was going to cost him, Paul would always rejoice in his relationship with these Christians. And even more so, rejoice in their relationship with God through their faith in Jesus. Paul was committed to these these Christians, to his brothers and sisters in Christ, even although it was a painful thing to do. Why was that? Well, that's because he loved them. And it was love that motivated Paul to write. Again, as we saw earlier in chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, I wrote to you, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Obviously, this isn't the kind of superficial or sentimental love that avoids the difficult issues. That just wants to mollycoddle someone and just leave them and never want to, never want to rock the boat or disturb the issue. But rather, this is the, the sincere, the genuine, the Christ-like love that is willing to confront issues no matter how difficult or distressing. So I think from Paul we learn that confronting issues with our friends or our family or even in our church community it shouldn't be something that we enjoy if you revel in confronting issues I would suggest that you shouldn't be doing it because you're doing it for the wrong motives 
it certainly should not be done out of retaliation. Nor should it be to get our own way with people. Nor to leave them feeling guilty and condemned. Nor is it to push difficult people out of our lives. Instead, if we are going to step up and speak up about issues, our motive should always be love. It should always be seeking the other person's best. This is what Paul writes to the the church in Ephesus in his letter to Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Some people point out that verse has been one of the most difficult to keep in the Bible. Don't ever say anything that's just for your benefit. But only say something if it's going to benefit those who listen to it. If it's only can be motivated by love. That selfless, that sacrificial love that Christ has loved us with. But why is it loving to confront those kind of issues? Why is it loving to confront these difficult issues even although they might cause distress and sorrow with the people who listen? Well, as Paul experienced here, he does it because it brings an opportunity for repentance and for restoration. When Titus finally arrived at Macedonia, Paul was delighted. He says, I'm happy, verse 9, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. Now, this response wasn't guaranteed. Things could have turned out very differently. Paul says that they could have responded with worldly sorrow that brings death. The Corinthians could have got stuck in a place of bitterness or grief. Maybe they could have just rejected Paul's words, stubbornly hardened their hearts, refused to consider that they had done anything wrong, gone even further from God's will in their lives. I think we need to recognise that in reaching out in love to people, we we aren't given guarantees of success. There's always a, 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 a risk that people could respond in, in a wrong way. Even, even if they respond with regretting the situation, they might not respond with repentance. Think about Judas Iscariot. When he betrayed Jesus. It says in Matthew chapter 27 verse 3. That Judas was seized with remorse. And returned the thirty silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned he said for I betrayed innocent blood. He regretted it. But it wasn't true Repentance. It didn't lead to life. It was worldly sorrow. And it led to death. 
But the Corinthians, they didn't respond like this. Instead, they responded with the sorrow that God intended. Verse 10 again. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. These Christians were upset by Paul's severe letter. His words cut them to the quick. But they humbly faced up to their failures. They turned away from their sin and they turned back to God. And as a result, they experienced forgiveness and they experienced restoration. Verse 11, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. They earnestly and eagerly declared their continuing commitment to God's will. They strongly disciplined the offender. Remember we looked at that back in chapter 2. They were shocked at the thought of what they'd done. And they desperately wanted to make things right again. And so they reaffirmed their concern and their connection with Paul. And that is what Paul was working for all along. He wrote in verse 12, That he wrote that distressing letter, not on account of the one who did the wrong or of the injured party, but rather that before God you could see for yourselves how devoted you are. His desire in writing that that letter was to stir up again their love for him. So that his relationship with them would be restored. But again, this was not primarily for his own benefit. Rather, it was so that he could continue to teach them God's word and encourage them to live out their new faith in Christ. As he challenges them in chapter 6 and verse 1, not to receive God's grace in vain. This is why Paul was so eager to get this issue resolved. Because he wanted them to get, get them back on track, living for God. Experiencing God's grace, declaring God's grace to everyone else, celebrating it and and rejoicing in it. And this is ultimately the reason why carefully and gently confronting issues in our friendships or in our family or in our church is the loving thing to do. Because it can bring about restoration. Not just in our relationship, not just in our friendship with them. But much more importantly, in the relationship with God. By us dealing with those issues carefully and wisely and gently, we can help somebody come back and walk with God again. That's what Paul writes to the Galatians. Chapter 6, verse 1. If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Confronting sin, challenging wrong behaviour, questioning wrong motives, correcting wrong actions, should always be done with a desire 
to restore a relationship with that person and encourage that person's relationship with God. That is how we carry each other's burdens. And that's how we fulfill and follow Christ's command to love. To love one another. As Jesus taught us in John 13, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So Paul didn't do this for his own benefit. But it did bring him and others such encouragement, such comfort. Verse 13, by all this we are encouraged. Maybe you'll remember that's one of the key themes in this letter. In this letter that's filled with so many troubles and difficulties and and, and tears and and all of that. Yet Paul emphasised again and again the comfort, the encouragement. It's the same, same root word. The comfort or encouragement that comes as we follow God. As we live for God even in those difficult times. Even in those troubles. So Paul says that his emotional state had been completely transformed when Titus arrived. That was in part just the joy of meeting up with his friend and seeing that his friend was okay. But he says he was comforted not only by his coming, Titus's coming, but also by the comfort that you had given him. When he heard about how the Corinthians had responded to his letter, how they had repented of their actions, how they expressed their desire to see Paul again and to reaffirm their relationship with him. He was greatly encouraged. He says, verse 7, my joy was greater than ever before. I don't know how Paul expressed that. Maybe he did jump up and down on the outside as well as the inside. That was something that Paul felt and he felt deeply. That deep joy of having that relationship restored. Having that issue dealt with. But it wasn't just Paul who was encouraged by all of this. In addition to our own encouragement, he says in verse 13, we were especially happy to see how Titus was. Because his spirit had been refreshed by all of you. Paul had told Titus, about this Christian community. He even said he boasted about them, which I know that we think that sounds wrong, but that's what he did. He told them about his joy in them. And now Titus had met them for himself. And he'd experienced their love. He'd ministered to them. He'd seen their response to God's word. And now his heart was connected with them too. And Paul rejoiced in that. Now, of course, that didn't mean that all the issues in this church were resolved. They weren't. Paul wasn't so naive to think that that was it sorted. He knew that there were still serious problems within this community. That there were some tensions in his relationship with them. That the influence of the false teachers and the false gospel were were really strong and had to be confronted. That there were issues over money, as we'll see next week as well. Paul didn't want to miss the joy of this victory. Because that's what he'd been willing to go through that pain of confrontation for. This is what he'd waited for. This is what he'd longed for. This is what he'd prayed for. This is what made the difficulty of the past few months all worthwhile. Verse 14. 
was the joy of reconciliation and restoration. And Paul knew that this was God's gift to him. See verse 6. God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us. Yes, Paul could see his role in this whole process. Yes, you could see Titus's faithful ministry in that process to bring about this restoration. Yes, you could see the, 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 the proper response of the Corinthians that enabled that godly sorrow to lead to repentance and restoration. But ultimately, ultimately, Paul saw God's hand in all of this. Paul saw that this encouragement was from God. The one who is, as we saw in chapter 1, the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And if you've ever experienced that, if you've ever experienced a relationship being broken and you taking that step, that courageous step of seeking to resolve that relationship and that relationship has been restored, I think you'll, you know what joy, the joy that Paul felt here. And you'll also know the gratitude to God who comes and he brings that comfort and that restoration. And you do respond by giving thanks to God, the God of all comfort. Confronting issues with courage, with grace, and with wisdom is not easy. It takes real sacrificial love for us to put our hearts and our agendas to one side. The risk of things getting worse before they get better is often very real. And the emotional cost is often very high. And yet the blessings of restoration The joy of helping someone come to that place of repentance. Of restoring a broken friendship. Of seeing a life transformed. Of helping someone come back into fellowship with God. It's so amazing that however much it costs, it's always going to be worthwhile. And after all, this is our calling as Christians. Remember back in chapter 5, verse 18, we read this verse. That God reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to confront the issue of our sin, no matter what it cost him. And he calls us to follow in his footsteps of reaching out in love no matter what it costs us. As we've read last week and we'll finish with this verse. 1 John 3.16 This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brother.